0: All right, so before we get into chapter 21, just a little reminder, last week in chapter 20, uh, we saw the story where Abraham and, uh, and Abimelech, and remember how, again, uh, Abraham and Sarah, they went into that land, and Abraham was afraid that they would try to kill him for his wife, so he said, you know, she's my sister, and then you all know how that story went down. It got Abimelech and his house in a lot of trouble, but God spared him, God stopped him from sinning which is a very good thing. And we see in the story that Abimelech he's, is a good guy. Now, I don't know if you all realize this. We're going to see it later on in the message. But I've been telling you almost every week as we go through these, every one of these stories are important. All these characters that are mentioned are important because they play a role later in the Bible. Some of these stories might seem like random stories, but they're not. They play a major role in Israel's history later on and so think about Abraham and Abimelech who we're going to see here who are basically friends okay Abraham and Abimelech just like Abraham and Lot were very close but who did those nations become they became Israel and they became uh, Moab the Moabites and the Ammonites which were enemies weren't they you've got Jacob and Esau you know and the Israelites and the Edomites we're kind of enemies with each other. You see these stories kind of like on a lot of movies and TV shows. You know, you got these guys that were friends, and then later they become, you know, enemies, you know, later on. And that's kind of what we see here. A lot of these people, they were friends at one time, but later they become major enemies. And don't answer the question, but does anybody know, all right think about this in your mind, but don't say it out loud, who is the major enemy that comes later through Abimelech? You know, go ahead, and tell me. Does anybody know? All right, well, stay tuned, because you all know these people, they become a major enemy later. And so we can kind of get an idea when we think about this, you know, how this story was significant. When you think about the fact that Abraham almost got Abimelech in big trouble because of his deception, years later, Isaac almost gets Abimelech in trouble because of deception. And so you can see these guys kind of had a shaky relationship where they got along, I think, because Abimelech was afraid of Abraham. But, you know, in Abimelech's mind, he probably always had a problem with these guys. You know, I'm going to leave them alone because they're blessed by God and I can't touch them. But I don't like these guys. You know, I'm scared of them. And it was almost like there was kind of an animosity there. And I think maybe that could have played into why the nation that came from him was always so hostile towards Israel. It's just, And it's a kind of example of how, you know, sins that... Of the fathers, they are sometimes visited on the children of the third and fourth generation. But we'll get into that later. Let's start reading in verse 1. It says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Notice that phrase, as he had said, and he has spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Now, We've been seeing a lot in the book of Genesis how statements in Genesis, facts and different things that happen are precedent for a lot of doctrine that is taught in the New Testament. It would say this is what happened in Genesis, therefore we know this is true. And I like how just early on in the Bible it establishes the fact that things happen as God says. Sarah had a son, as God said. At the time, You know, as the Lord did unto Sarah, as he had spoken. What God says will be. What God says, you can mark it down, is basically already done. That's the, And that's the way we ought to look at God's Word. If God says something's going to happen, we ought to see it as though it's happened. He always keeps His promises. Verse 3, And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And I love this too, because the name Isaac, and we've talked about this before, it means laughter. Now, anybody think why they would name give him a name that meant laughter? Because of the fact that, both of them laughed when they when they heard the promise of God that they would have a child. Now, think about this, because Isaac is definitely a picture of salvation, especially considering the fact that we are the children of promise, as saved people, like Isaac. We are Abraham's seed because we are in Christ. Okay? We are all these things. So there's no doubt a great picture of Jesus Christ or salvation. You can find that in Isaac and but yet when god made this promise they laughed why because what god promised was physically impossible for them to do and did you know that salvation that we have been promised is physically impossible for us to obtain there's nothing we can do to get salvation nothing listen the thought of us being saved and getting saved should make somebody laugh it really should Okay, if you're thinking logically, if you're thinking in terms of justice, we should laugh at the thought of us getting saved, but I'm saying, but you know, at the same time, we don't laugh, why? Because we have faith. We have faith that God will keep his promise, that God will do as he said, as he has spoken. And so you can kind of see a picture of salvation here. And so they named Isaac, or Isaac, meaning laughter, which... I think would have been is wonderful because think about this. Any time or every time they would say his name, they would be reminded how it's ridiculous for them to doubt God. Every time they looked at that baby boy, they would be reminded God kept His promise. This is something that this is this child is something that God gave to us. Isn't that what we do when we look at our salvation? When we look at our salvation, we give all glory to God. Unless we're a camp meeting preacher, then we act like it's because we repented of all our sins. But no, you and I, we look at our salvation and we give glory to God. We look at our salvation, the fact that we're still saved, and we're like, you know what? Glory to God. He gave us salvation. And think about this too, with Isaac especially, with this child of promise that God had given, came a promise of God making a great nation from him and multiplying his seed as the stars of heaven. So you know what that tells me? That tells me any time Isaac was maybe sick as a little child, and I'm sure he got sick. I mean, all kids get sick and go through things. Any time he would go through anything or maybe the parents would start to be tempted or to start to think that he's not going to make it, all they'd have to do is pray, Lord, be with my son Isaac. And as soon as they'd say his name, they would remember God always keeps his promises He's, he's got to make a great nation of him. Every time they would say his name, it, they, they would realize our prayer has already been answered. God is going to do this and it's the same thing too with us. Any time we might think that we would lose our salvation because we mess up, we do something wrong. we just have to think about the fact that no, this is a promise of God. We're going to be in heaven someday. And it would be and it's foolish for us to even worry about hell because we know it's, <clears throat> we know salvation's a gift of God. And that it's a promise of God. And just like Isaac was a promise and of, of God, they had nothing to fear. And you know what? That right there, and I know this because the New Testament tells us this, that's what made Abraham obedient enough to be willing to sacrifice his own son. The New Testament tells us that he believed that God could raise him up from the dead. Abraham knew God promised to make a great nation out of Isaac. And so there's nothing that can happen to him that will stop that from taking place. He had that kind of faith. So Abraham was willing to go forward and even sacrifice his own son because God told him to, knowing that God has to do as he has has said, as he has spoken. My son, Isaac, you know, I laughed when God gave that promise, but I have this son right here because of the promise of God and there's no way he's going to take him from me right now that can't happen it can't be done and so he had the confidence to go forward with that and that's the way we ought to be you know that's why we have what we call eternal security because of the fact we've been promised salvation nothing can take that from us and you can bring up all the what ifs that you want well what if you do this what if you do that you know, it doesn't matter hey God promised that salvation to us. We can't lose it, and to even, you know, to to even think that we might is is a foolish thought that we should be ashamed of. And I'm sure Abraham and Sarah they probably had some moments where maybe they feared for Isaac's life and they, you know, would get worried. But then they just have to say that name and remember, you know, we laughed once before, and look what God did. Why would we why would we do that again? And I don't think they ever forgot that Isaac was a miracle of God. And if you always remember that your salvation is a miracle of God, then you're going to know I can never lose it. I can never lose it. But if you think you earned it, then why wouldn't you think you could lose it? But when you realize your salvation is a miracle of God, there's no reason to fear at all. So verse 4 of Genesis 21 says, And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him, and Isaac, he would have been the first example of someone being circumcised on the eighth day, like God had commanded. Because it was it was Abraham that God gave the command to circumcise to, but uh, Abraham did it uh, himself and his whole household and Ishmael. But it was you know after they were all past eight days, of course. Isaac was the first one that where that where it was done right, and I think that's interesting too because of the fact. Isaac's kind of a picture of Jesus, and Jesus was the first one, Jesus was the only one that ever did everything right. He did it all, he did it all right. And I think that's uh, kind of interesting, but verse five, and Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him, and Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, who would have, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck for I have borne him a son in his old age. You know, and the answer to who would have said that? Nobody. Nobody would have said that Sarah would give suck and that Abraham would have a son at a hundred years old. But here's the thing God did say it, therefore it did happen. And you know what? We can make another comparison with salvation there. You know, who would say that salvation is for free? You know, who who would come up with that? I mean, folks, you know this. If you go soul winning, you ask people what you think you got to do to go to heaven. It's almost always some form of good works, isn't it? You go talk to pretty much any religion in the world, whether it's a Christian type type religion, Muslim, whatever. If if you're going to go to heaven, paradise or anything reincarnated, how do you get there? Good works. That's what everybody would say, right? Everybody would say it's some form of good works or another. You gotta do something good. People laugh at the idea of a free salvation. Who would say that God would just give salvation for free? Who would say that God would give salvation to a wicked sinner? You know, who would say that that drunk could go to heaven? Who would say that that man on his deathbed who never did anything for God could go to heaven? Who would say the thief on the cross? who never did anything for God, was never going to have a chance to do anything for God, could go to heaven. You know, many people would laugh at that. And no, and the truth is, no one would say that, but Romans 10.13 does say, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you know what that tells me? God said it, therefore it will happen. And people might want to laugh at it, but you know what Paul, the Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth. So God said it, therefore it will happen. Yes, it was a laughable thing for a 100-year-old for man and a 9-year-old woman to say they were going to have a baby that she was going to give suck. That was a laughable thing. That was a laughable statement. And it's a laughable statement for any of us to say that we're going to go to heaven. But you know what? God said it, therefore it will happen. And I think God's drawn a picture here for us. I mean, it, it's amazing. And we're going to see this as we go through some of these stories. When you get to the stories of Abraham and Isaac, just the parallels there and the pictures of salvation. I mean, salvation is all over the book of Genesis. Free salvation is all over the book of Genesis. The salvation that the New Testament teaches is based off the book of Genesis. Yet you've got nut jobs out there that teach they had faith plus works in the Old Testament. That, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Genesis teaches a free salvation. It's all over if you just look. So verse 8 says, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac, and the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. All right, now there's a few very important things that we already covered in one of the earlier chapters of Genesis. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. We showed how Ishmael is the Jews and Isaac is the Christians. That is an allegory from Galatians chapter 4. Okay, I didn't come up with that. The Apostle Paul came up with that. I stole that sermon from the Apostle Paul. And, I, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on Galatians 4, but I do want to make sure we take time to look at the, uh, the mentions of these verses in the New Testament. So go ahead and turn to Galatians 4 and verse 30. Well, let's go ahead and read. Let's start reading verse 21 or verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Okay. Now, what was the difference between Isaac and Ishmael? Ishmael was born by the flesh. Isaac was born by promise. Those are the differences right there. They're both Abraham's son. One was a miracle of God. One was a very natural occurrence. Verse 23, uh, which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gendered to bondage, which is Agar. Okay, what's that covenant? That's those Ten Commandments. That's that Old Testament. That's Hagar. That's Ishmael. The Jews who are supposedly following the Old Testament, are of Hagar. That's, I didn't say that. Paul said that. He said, well, you're anti-Semitic. Well, Paul was a Jew, and he said it. Okay, so he was anti-Semitic too then. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answer to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. So, we're like Isaac, we are of promise. We are not like Ishmael of the flesh. Now, you ask any Zionist out there, you know, why are the Jews special over the Arabs? Well, because the Arabs come from Ishmael and the Jews come from Isaac. But wait a minute, if they—if you're saying it's because they come from Isaac, are you saying that physically or spiritually? Because my Bible says it's a spiritual. It's a, it's a physical thing. All right, the you know, the, Ishmael is the physical, and if they descend from Isaac, that's physical, because the Bible tells us as Christians we are from Isaac, meaning spiritually. So if you're physically from Isaac. It does not matter. If you are spiritually from Isaac, that that is what does matter. And folks, that's New Testament. That's the Apostle Paul. That's in the Pauline epistles. Even a hardcore hyperdispensationalist will tell you that the Pauline epistles, these are our books. Well, he wrote that to us saying we're the children of promise. We are of Isaac. We are Abraham's seed. That's all from the Apostle Paul. And it says, but as then he that was born after the flesh. Persecuted him that was born after the Spirit. Even so is it now. Were the Muslims or the Ishmaelites persecuting the church or were the Jews persecuting the church? I see no examples of the Ishmaelites persecuting the church in the Bible. But I do see a bunch of examples of the Jews persecuting the church. So nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Here's the reference to Genesis chapter 21. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now, let me ask you back here in Genesis chapter 21, when Ab- when Sarah gets mad, Sarah gets mad and tells Abraham, cast out the bondwoman. Now, doesn't that sound kind of mean? I mean, this is Abraham's son, Ishmael. I mean, yeah, Ishmael was messing with Isaac, persecuting Isaac, but you know, brothers often don't get along with each other. And, you know, it's not really Hagar's fault. And they literally send her out the desert, we're going to see, where they almost die. God had to protect her. Now, why would God tell Abraham to cast her out like that? Well, if, you know, if you're a Fox News Baptist, well, it's because he knew Muslims would come from there and then Muslims are a bunch of scumbag evil. No, you know what he was doing? It was a picture. God's creating a picture here because of the fact that the Jews were not going to be heirs with the children of promise, with the children of the free woman. So while the Baptist, of Fox News Baptists get all excited about Ishmael getting thrown out here, they don't realize that's a picture of the Jews getting thrown out. Folks, the Jews are not going to be heirs with us. That is what we see in Galatians chapter four clearly. And so God allows us, you say, oh, that's kind of harsh. Well, the same people will say it's going to be harsh too when God tells the Jews all those that would not, that should reign over and bring before me and slay them. But that's what God's going to do. Why? Because they didn't have faith. And just like God told Abraham, cast out the bottle. And when God did that, this is an allegory. It's a picture. Because someday God was going to do that with the Jews. Now, see, you don't have to like that, but take it up with the Apostle Paul. Again, I'm stealing his sermon material. This is straight from the book of Galatians. So, um, we, so we have that reference. And so, Romans chapter 9, go ahead and turn over there. We see another, uh, this is another place in the New Testament where it goes to Genesis 21. Genesis 21 is a very significant chapter about the Jews versus the church. Okay? The, the Fox News Baptists, they make it all about the Jews versus the Muslims. If they want to talk about the Israeli Palestinian conflict, they're almost always going to go to Genesis 21. That's not how Paul used Genesis 21. And in Romans chapter 9, also the apostle Paul says not as in verse 6, not as though the word of God had taken none effect for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called direct quote from Genesis chapter 21 in verse uh tw- in verse 12. He said and Isaac shall thy seed be called. It's not about the flesh. It's about the promise. So then they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. For this is the promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. So, folks, Genesis 21 proves what we teach about Israel. Genesis 21 is proof. And they are dead wrong. Because they don't follow the Apostle Paul's teachings on these things, so the Arabs, they're you know they are Abraham's seed. Because notice what he said about Ishmael, he said, "I'm going to make a great nation of him because he's thy seed." Okay? because he's thy seed, but the thing is, you know, he didn't receive, he wasn't the child of promise. He didn't receive the same inheritance that Isaac got, and it's the same thing too. The Jews are also the seed of Abraham physically but they're not the children of God they're not the children of promise even if they do descend from Isaac so uh, in verse 14 it says and Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba and the water was spent in the bottle and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. So the water being spent, I mean, it was all used up. They ran out of water, and they're out in the wilderness. And it says, And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bow shot, for she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven, and saith unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. Ishmael did grow up. Ishmael did survive. He did become a great nation. He multiplied greatly. In fact, I was talking about the other day, I mean, they're like a, like a quarter of the world's population today or something like that. I mean, they are a massive um, um, there's a massive amount of people. And in verse 19 it says, And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And I just think this is interesting too because of the fact we see God protecting Ishmael in the wilderness. We see God providing water for Ishmael in the wilderness. Isn't that kind of the same thing that we see with the children of Israel? Later on, how God protected them in the wilderness. God gave them water in the wilderness. How God, you know, he protected them. It's kind of interesting how he did it with Ishmael too. But at the same time, you know, God did do these things for a physical people. But at the same time, you know, we know what ended up happening with them. You know, they ended up failing in these things. They ended up, uh, you know, the one generation all died off in the wilderness. So it's almost kind of like another picture there I think is interesting. But verse 20 it says and God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. So God sustained him. God protected him in the wilderness. God took care of him just like he took care of Israel in the wilderness. And so now verse 22, we get back to Abimelech. It says And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol the chief captain of his host spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. Now therefore swear unto me hereby, God, that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son, but according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. Now, what's interesting about this is you can kind of guess why Abimelech would say, Swear to me and don't deal falsely. Why did he say that? Because Abraham had dealt falsely with him before. And I'm telling you right now, what I personally believe is happening here is the same thing we often see in Israel's history. People, they were kind to them. They did good to them. But it wasn't necessarily because they loved him. It was because they were scared of them. Because Abraham did have the blessing of God on him. The children of Israel... Had the blessing of God on them. Remember when they hired Balaam? Balak hired Balaam to put a curse on them, because they're like, we we can't do anything to these people. They are so blessed of God. And even though they hated them, you know, they they knew that they were blessed of God. They knew there was something special about them. I mean, that's what happened in Egypt. You know, Pharaoh he was hardened for a long time, but the the, the entire nation of Egypt they were scared to death of the children of Israel. And, folks, when you read the book of Exodus, you know, when you look at the people themselves, there was nothing to be scared of, was there? But, boy, their God was something to be feared, wasn't it? And we see that finally, when you know, enough was enough after the death of the firstborn. I mean, they spoiled the Egyptians. The Egyptians are basically giving them things to get rid of them. Just here, take everything, just get out of here as fast as you can. They didn't want to touch them. They were scared to death of them. We see that after they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, that when they come up against the walls of Jericho, that they didn't have a chance against, that the people's hearts in Jericho fainted. When they went and talked to Rahab the harlot, I mean, every, she's telling them everybody's been talking, we know we're dead meat. We know we're in trouble why now why did they feel that way because they had heard the stories of what their god had done for them so they feared them greatly and that's the same thing that we see going on here so you've got a man again last week when i was talking about him i don't think he was this great guy i don't think he was this saved guy but i do think he had a desire for self-preservation so what did he do he gave abraham what he wanted he was good to abraham out of fear And see, that's another thing, too, about, you know, why we want to be right with God and why we want to be in the will of God, because the thing with politicians and with leaders in government, they are often bad people, scumbags, whatever you want to call them, but they often they also have a desire for self-preservation, don't they? Folks, do you think for two seconds that any good thing that happened today in Springfield was out of the goodness of J.B. Pritzker's heart? Do you think for two seconds that had anything to do with it? No, but we saw some good decisions made today. Why? Because they got scared. You know what? All of a sudden, I believe God is putting fear in the hearts of these people. When uh, Representative Bailey was praying at the thing at the uh, event we were at, he prayed that God would put confusion into the hearts of their enemy. and maybe that's exactly what God is doing right now. He's putting confusion into the heart of the enemies. And they don't know what to do now. They're scrambling, trying to figure out how to act. And folks, don't think for one second, too, that the good things that we're seeing is a result of just Darren Bailey or any politicians or even the protesters. I believe God is stirring things up. I think if anything happened at that protest, it's the fact that there were hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people praying to God at that event. Calling on Him. We've been praying to God that He would get us out of this mess. That we're in and we better never forget for two seconds who's really in charge of things in springfield let's keep on applying the pressure like we're doing to these people let's keep on giving grief but you know what at the end of the day what's going to really strike fear into their hearts it's going to make them change anything it's going to be god that's going to do that but you know we're not going to get god to do anything for us if we're not praying for it if we're not asking for it if we're not doing our part if we're being disobedient to the word of god if we're not getting the work of the Lord done, you know, we, so we need to make sure we stay close to God because when we are right with God and when we have the blessing of God, the wicked will fear us. And we see that God did that just with Abraham. We see him doing that throughout Israel's history where people were scared of him. And you wonder why, you know, people, can't, you know, they they can't figure out how the founding fathers, as wicked as they were, did some of the good things they did. Maybe it's because they were scared of God's people that were all over the country during that time. Maybe God put it in their hearts because there, maybe there were thousands of people back then praying to God, saying, "Lord, we escaped these other countries. We left all these other countries, getting away from there because we wanted to come here and have a place where we could worship you freely." Dear God, please let us have that. You know, do you think the history books are going to record those things? Do you think, you know, I guarantee you, and I don't know, because the history books aren't going to record it. I guarantee you there were prayer meetings going on back in those days. I guarantee you churches were getting together and praying that their leaders would make some good laws and make some good decisions. The, The history books will never tell us about those things, but I do believe that they happen. And I believe... Those kind of things are happening right now. Folks, there's no doubt churches are praying like they've never prayed before right now. There's there's no doubt about that. I mean, do you, I, I guarantee you there's been a lot of prayer in places like Calvary Baptist in Dundalk this week where they know that they're being threatened and they're up against a lot. You better believe there's a lot of calling on God going on right now. And you know what? It's my prayer that God will strike fear into the hearts of those leaders in that area and that they will get confused and that they'll maybe mess up and if they do try to put in some bad laws they'll put something stupid in there that makes it unconstitutional and illegal and it'll get thrown out. That kind of thing's happened before too where they have where they've tried to pass really bad laws and they put some kind of provision in there that really didn't affect a whole lot but they were able to make the whole law null and void because of that one thing. It It's God that does that kind of thing. And we've got to, we've got to recognize that. And we see God did that kind of thing all the time with the children of Israel. And that's what's going on with Abimelech right now. So, um, verse, where do we leave off? Uh, verse 24. Or 25. And Abraham reproved Abimelech, this is while they're making their deal, because of the well of water which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said, I want not who had done this thing. Neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it. But today, and notice how too, you know, Abraham got wronged and he complained to the leader here, who had no idea what was going on. You know what? If we get misused and abused by local leaders and we want to take it to a higher court, we're not a bunch of just whining, selfish Christians that are fighting. You know, it's okay for us to fight for our rights. And to call out wickedness when it happens and call out illegal behavior. It's okay to do that. Often there's people up there on higher levels that do care about these things. And again, I think Abimelech, he just, he was scared. He remembered what happened when he had taken Abraham's wife. And he's thinking, you know what? I don't even want to take a well from this guy. Now, with the kind of, you know, pull he has with God, you better believe that. You're getting your well back, Abraham. And remember, remember in the last chapter too, how when he gave Sarah back, he gave all these gifts too. What's he doing? He's scared. He's scared of God. It's the same thing that we saw when we were going through Ezra and uh, whatever the king was, wasn't Cyrus, uh, whatever, but whichever king was at that time, remember how he made the bad law at first telling Israel, no, you can't do the work. And then he found out, oh, wait a minute. No, actually, they were right. Cyrus did make a law saying they could do it. He gets scared, changes the law, says, no, guess what? You guys can do it. Oh, and by the way, we're going to give you all the funding for it. We're going to pay for everything. Why did he do that? He was scared. He was scared. He feared God. And not only that, we're going to kill anybody that tries to stop you from doing what we're doing. Boy, you know what? Maybe if we get a hold of God, maybe if the church will get right with God, God will put that kind of fear on these people. And maybe, maybe... If we really did, if we'd really get right with God, maybe our leaders would step up and say, you know what, we're going to make another amendment because apparently the First Amendment's not clear enough and let's make a law guaranteeing that we can never touch these churches again. Wouldn't that be awesome? You don't think that can happen? It happened in Israel against a much more powerful government, against a much more wicked, corrupt government than what we have today. You don't think that kind of thing can happen right now? You better believe it can happen right now if we ask for it. And I'd like to see that. And I, I think God could even use somebody like Trump. God used Nebuchadnezzar to make some pretty good laws. I think those two have a lot in common. Just Trump hasn't been humbled as much yet. But God, God could do that. Supposedly Mike Pence has gotten Trump saved, so it ought to be easier. I, I don't believe that, but it can, it can happen. You know, th- this is why God gave us these stories in the Bible. We get hope from these things. Hey, I'm sick of this fatalist attitudes from Christians. They've just given up. Yeah, just, just let us become China. Yeah, I'm fine with just meeting and hiding and meeting underground. Just just giving up. I mean, they're just like a little wimp just laying there in, this, in a fetal position, letting a bully kick him. No, get up and fight back. Do something. And you never know, God might end up doing a work. So he's fighting for this well because it was his. Ah, it's just a well. Just take the wrong. Let him defraud you. No, it's his well. He has a right to fight back for it. It was his. It was his property. And that's a biblical concept too. So it says, lost my spot again. Verse 31, wherefore he called that place Beersheba, because there they swear both of them. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba, and Abimelech rose up, and Phicol, the chief captain of the host, and they returned into the land of the Philistines. Okay, and this is where the Philistines are from. Okay, this is he was the king of the Philistines. So this is basically Israel and the Philistines early on in their history making a covenant together, making friends. And it says, And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. Remember the chapter before, um, Abimelech told him, Whatever the land you want, it's there, it's there. It's yours. That was the land of the Philistines that Abraham was dwelling in during this time. So this story here it might seem like kind of a random story about a covenant between Abraham and Abimelech and, and dispute over a well. Why is this a big deal? Why is this story significant? It is, it's because of the fact it's showing the beginning of all the nations, especially Israel, and especially the other nations that played a major role in Israel's history. And Abimelech's kingdom played a major role because that's where the Philistines came from. Genesis 26, verse 1, And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went unto Abimelech king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. So right here, what we're seeing here, this is early interaction, the first interaction between really Israel and the Philistines. And it was with Abraham and Abimelech. So you can kind of see how they had a shaky start to their relationship. You can see that I don't think Abimelech liked Abraham that much, but he was scared of him. But the thing is, now, generations later, you got a group that they don't fear God. You got a wicked group of reprobates. Reprobates don't fear God. There's a lot of unsaved people, though, who do fear God. But there's a lot, but the reprobate, they don't. And that and the reason for it is because if they fear God, they might call on the Lord, get saved, and then God would He'd have to save them. Sometimes God wants to destroy them. And did you know that's what God wanted to do with the Philistines? God wanted to destroy them? Because here's the thing didn't God promise Abraham? All that land before the story here? God promised Abraham all that land, I forgot, I think in chapter 15. No, I believe it was. But the thing is, so why didn't Abraham just take care of business right here? It, well, because in chapter 15, verse 15, it says, Thou shalt go unto thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. And in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The reason God didn't have them destroy all those nations then, they weren't bad enough yet. Now, they were on their way to being that bad. God and His foreknowledge knew, I'm eventually going to have to wipe these people out. But God wasn't going to do do it before the time. But He knew it was going to come, and it was the same thing too with the Philistines. They weren't that bad yet, but they were on that path to becoming bad enough where God was going to have to destroy them. So God already knew... Before all the, the, all that, everything was, that happened, that the land was gonna go to Abraham, because God knew the Philistines would eventually be so bad they'd have to be cast out. And so, but God hadn't done it yet because there was no reason to put them down yet. And so while they weren't real bad in Abraham's day, they were heading down a path that would ultimately lead to destruction. So, one quick bonus point here before we finish. So, something, a lesson we can learn from this. Is that often when we see God, God's dealing with man in the Bible? For example, when we're reading the story, we're reading about Abraham, right? You know, we read about Lot. We're reading about individuals, right? We're reading about Abimelech. You know, we're read all these names that we're seeing in Genesis, you and I, we see individuals. Same thing with Jacob and Esau. We're kind of seeing individuals. That's how we read the stories. But the thing is, these these stories are not so much stories about individuals. These stories are about God's dealings with these men, and not as individuals, but as nations. Okay? And how God deals with nations is not always done in a generation. It's often done over periods of hundreds of, hundreds of years, many times. So when God makes a promise often to an individual in the book of Genesis, you don't ever see it come to pass to that individual. Because the promise wasn't so much to the individual, it was a promise to the nation. Okay, And this is an important concept to understand, because remember, we often read these things and we make personal life applications, and that's fine. But many of these things, the primary application of these stories is God promising things and God dealing with nations. And so this is why Abraham, the book of Hebrews, tells us he didn't receive the things that were promised to him. But wait a minute, God promised these things to Abraham. Why didn't Abraham ever get them in his lifetime? Because God was dealing with a nation. And y'all understand, we are a part of that nation, aren't we? We're a part of that nation. And so understand, Abraham's going to get it because he's going to rise from the dead but ultimately God was dealing with the nation. So the promises that God gave to Abraham concerning the land that Abraham never got his hands on, Abraham never got all the land that God promised to him. And FYI, Israel never got all the land that God promised to him. But understand, when God gave that promise, he was giving it to Abraham as a nation, and we are a part of that nation, and one day, we'll get it. One of these days, we will get it. And so this is why Abraham didn't receive these things. And you've got to understand that many of these things we're seeing in here, they're they're about nations. A lot of the these prophecies. And so we'll see some examples of this too as we go through the book of Genesis. But it's an important concept to understand because people get really confused. I was just listening to some, you know, trendies today talking about the whole thing with uh, Esau. Well, you know, it sure seemed like God didn't love Esau. It's like, have you guys never read the book of Malachi? He was talking about the nation there, okay? Because they use it, they go to Romans nine to teach their Calvinist junk. It's like, no, it's talking about the nation. All you gotta do is read Malachi to figure it out, and all you gotta do is read the book of Genesis to see too that he was good. They they brought the the verse two where it talked about how um, Esau couldn't find repentance even though he sought it carefully with tears. Meaning he wasn't one of the chosen, he couldn't get saved, even though he was repentant, he, he, he couldn't find repentance. It wasn't repentance for salvation, it was repentance to get his birthright back. It's like, do these people never look at context? Yes, he was sorry he gave up his birthright. And he repented of that. He repented, in other words, I'm sorry. Can I have it back? But there was no place of repentance. There was no getting his birthright back. Everybody sees repentance and they automatically think salvation. Okay, you know, it's it's what the work salvation crowd. Always, they see repentance and they always think it's salvation. Kind of like New Ivy. They see repentance and they always think you know you know heretic. You know, you know it's like no. Do people never look at context? All right, look at context of these things. That's all you have to do. And many of the Things that we're we going to see with Jacob and Esau, these promises, these things are, it's not about Jacob the smooth guy and Esau the hairy man. It's about nations. And these are things that we've got to understand. That's why we have these stories in Genesis. And so when we get the big picture, all of a sudden these things start to make sense. All of a sudden these stories, we realize these stories are here for a reason. They're not random stories. They're there for a reason And it's important that we get these things because they do play a role later on in the Bible. They help us have a fuller understanding of the Word of God. And so when we see promises of nations, we claim the promises that were offered to Isaac because Isaac was the child of promise. And Galatians tells me very clearly, we are the children of promise, as Isaac was. So we can get excited when we read these things because these things weren't just about promises to individuals. They were promises to nations that you and I are a part of. So when we read when I read these things, I see stuff for myself in there too. And it gets me excited. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word and the things it teaches us, Lord. We thank you for saving us and that free gift to salvation. Lord, it's just amazing seeing these wonderful pictures of salvation in your word. And I pray you'll help us to find comfort in these things. Lord, help us to every time we think about doubting about anything, help us to remember the miracle of salvation and let it be a reminder to us that you always keep your promises and do what you say you're going to do. In your name we pray. Amen.